1: There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star
0: coaches welcome to the championship vision podcast this is episode 220 today we have a special guest with you coach ray loker ray loker has taught been an athletic director a high school administrator a yso board member and president and coach a variety of sports over 35 years at the youth high school and college levels in southern california he has a son and two daughters who have gone on to play college athletics as well as a young son currently playing youth sports Ray was a head basketball coach of the 2002 California Interscholastic Federation Champions while at Bishop Ahmet High School and is a past president of the Southern California Interscholastic Basketball Coaches Association. Coach Ray Loker is the basketball coaching education coordinator for the Amateur Athletic Foundation, editor of basketball.lifetips.com. He was the head basketball coach of the 2002 California Interscholastic Federation Champions at Bishop Amart High School. Ray is also a trainer and mentor coach with Positive Coaching Alliance and coordinates their partner development efforts in Southern California, concentrating on grants to underserved organizations. He has coached in the San Gabriel Valley just east of Los Angeles, California, for over 25 years at the youth, high school, and college levels. Coach Locke has worked countless camps and clinics, during that time for ages 8-18, through and is presently the Executive Director of the Basketball for All Foundation. Today, coaches, we're going to talk with uh, Ray about um, his uh, Gold Coaching Coaches Academy, and uh, he's going to try to help us out and try for us to um, just become better coaches overall. How do we coach our athletes? How do we give them the confidence that they need to perform at the highest level? So, I'd like to welcome Coach Ray Loker, otherwise known as Coach Lock.
2: I don't think anybody calls me Ray anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So, Coach, um, let's
0: get started. I I always want to talk about, and I have my my great friend, Coach Pete Aycock. He's a great mentor of mine, great friend. Um, Who are your mentors? Who had we had a lot to do with how what you do as a coach and what you're doing now. So talk about the people who really had a great influence on you.
2: Yeah, you know, that's interesting. When you get into coaching, um, I think the first place you really you really get your mentors is from your peers in coaching. And uh, I had a couple of guys that I used to work little junior high basketball camps with, uh, John Bettencourt and Will Jacobsmeyer, and we'd uh, have breakfast and lunch and bounce things around. And. We uh, coached junior high and we played games at the local high school, uh, which was Damien High School. And Mike LaDuke was the basketball coach at the time. And uh, Mike uh, kind of wanted to do things his way. It was his feeder program. And, you know, the three of us would butt heads sometimes and uh, stayed friends. Uh, when I moved to the high school level, kind of became competitors a little bit. Uh, one of his good friends was Ray Pletko. Who ended up being the state association director in Colorado and was a CIF director here uh, in California. So he kind of taught me a little bit of leadership and organizational skills. I uh, went to Bishop of Mott High School uh, in in La Puente, California, and coached, which is my alma mater. Coached there as an assistant coach, but then um, we had been to our section finals, and I kind of wanted to see what else was out there, and went to wanted to check out the college level, and. Um, I get a phone call from a guy at 7 in the morning, Mike Scarano. Uh, he was an assistant coach uh, at Pomona Pitzer Colleges. And he said, Ray, uh, there's an opening here for the JV varsity assistant. Um, you want to come by and interview? And I didn't even know where it was, but went and talked and, and met uh, the interim head coach, Charlie Katsiaficas. So they call him Coach Kat. <laughs> That's right. And part of my job was to spell Ficus phonetically for the scorekeeper and the announcer. Uh, That first year. Uh, But anyway, um, he uh, was Greg Popovich's assistant at Pomona Pitzer. Pop moved on and got the job at San Antonio Spurs. Cat moved up, and I moved into Cat's spot. And uh, I mean, so essentially the guys lost Popovich and got me. You know, he he came out a little bit behind on that deal. (laughs) Um, But so I got to coach all his guys and uh, really learned a lot from from Coach Cat, who obviously had been with pop for, you know, four or five years. Uh, So, you know, indirectly, I'm a little twig on that tree, which is, which is nice. Uh, So his philosophies and and methods of teaching really probably solidified some things that I thought um, as I was going through uh, college, really to become a coach. I mean, I took basketball theory three times in college, not because I failed, just because there was a different guy teaching it every time. Sure. Uh, one time was Andy Stoglin, uh, who went on to be a coach. Uh, <clears throat> I want to say Louisiana Monroe or something like that. He was on uh, that Glory Road team uh, that, uh, yeah. that won the, won the title. Yeah, uh, sure. Alan Van Winkle, who ended up being a coach at Southern Illinois. And then Dave Bolwinkel, who yeah. uh, stuck with me for a long time as a, as a mentor. So uh, a lot of guys young, stole a little bit from all of them. And, uh, you know, kind of, kind of figured it out from there and developed philosophy according, according to that.
0: Yeah, there's some great – I'm from California. Are you? Right? I, yeah, I'm from San Jose, California. I grew up uh, going to the uh, University of Santa Clara camps with Carol Williams and all the great coaches out there. Uh, I'm a California guy, even though I've been in Georgia for most of my life. Um, California has some great high school coaches – a good friend of mine is Doc Shepler uh-huh. out there in California. I mean, I can go on and on about the guys yeah. I've interviewed. Kelly Sopak, um, guys like that. Talk about the great California coaches out Of course, it's a, it's a huge state. But, man, California basketball and the coaching out there is tremendous.
2: Yeah, I mean, our section, the California Southern section uh, where I'm from, we have about five 600 teams in our section. I mean, right. so one in our section is kind of a big deal. And – uh, you know, a lot of times we have more teams than uh, many states.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Coach Pete. Hey, hey, uh, can you ask for hey? Just talk to Ray a little bit, cause I know you have a lot of experience. And Coach knows he knows coaches from all over the place. W- what insight can you give, uh, Coach Ray, about Georgia basketball?
3: Well, Georgia bas- Georgia basketball is has really, really improved over the last 25, 30 years. Um, for a long time, the basketball coach was just simply an assistant football coach that a lot of times didn't know very much about it. And, but that's changed now. And uh, the knowledge that's out there. Uh, truthfully, the amount of knowledge that's available to young coaches now, if, if you don't know basketball, to a certain level, then there's something wrong with you because it's out there if you just want to go get it. But uh, my thing in the coaching thing is for young people is just to say this is keep it simple. That doesn't mean that it's easy, but so many young coaches have never had a mentor where they could start out with a standard that was workable and that made sense and it was solid and fundamentally sound so they have to slowly develop their own. And that's a hard way to go. And um, I think what happens is young coaches, they wind up teaching things that don't really matter that much. They might be, I, I hate to use the word cute, but it's not about what happens in the game. And if you keep this, it's just like, uh, I think everything is about words phrases uh, used over and over and over again. It's like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's just, that sounds trite and simple, but it just applies everywhere. And it's just a truism. Uh, A phrase like, we're gonna play fast, we're gonna play furious, uh, furious, and we're gonna run our system. Just something simple like that. I think so much coaching today has to do with overcoaching. Uh, yeah. like he, If you're going to teach something, I think it's got to be one, two, three.
2: Yeah, you're right. I was telling somebody uh, a little Go while ahead. ago that uh, even Einstein said, make it simple, uh, as simple as can be, but not any simpler. Right. And if you can't explain it simpler, you don't know it right. Well, right. Uh, so your, your point about terminology right. is huge. And I think that's something that you develop, you know, as time goes on and you get to siphon down the things that are important. Um, and maybe we'll talk about, about that a little bit, too, as we go through philosophy.
0: Yes, absolutely. Coach, hey let's, hey, let's get right into it. Let's delve into your gold standard. How can we become a gold standard coach?
2: Yeah, well, that's interesting. I, I, we were talking a little bit earlier just about the things that we try to do. Because um, we, we try to talk to players, coaches, and parents and administrators because they all got to be in on the deal. It's all got to be. Uh, everybody's got to be on the same page, and so uh, w- with players, you know, we want them to have a productive experience. But but coaches, um, like like Pete said, uh, we have to be able to to put together our system so that they buy in, and they need tools enabled to to to, to be able to do that. Uh, I hate to say these days, but but things have changed over your thirty years, Kevin, my forty years, and peak probably a couple of centuries, right?
0: (laughs)
1: Um, Right.
2: (laughs) But, uh, and administrators have to really uh, support the coach. So, so we really have to uh, get everybody on the same page. And I think as we're figuring it out, what, what the most important thing as a coach to do is to figure out what, what a coach really is and why it is that you're doing it. You know, when I got into it, You know, I grew up around the wooden era down here in Los Angeles and he was such a big deal. And, you know, they call me coach was one of the first coaching books that I read. Um, I think the first college paper I did was on an article by Tharp and Gallimore called what a coach can teach a teacher uh, that really shaped a lot of some of my principles. Um, Maybe we'll get into that. But I loved walking down the hall and having people call me coach or, you know, walk into a restaurant and have people say, hi, coach. And that was all a big deal. And then all of a sudden, everybody became a coach, right? You had life coaches, business coaches, and uh, and I got bitter for a while. Like, that's not what a coach is. Um, and then uh, when my daughter played at the University of Redlands, uh, she spent a, a semester uh, in Austria. They have a, a they own a castle in Austria. They send kids to go and study over there.
0: Nice. And
2: uh, she came back with this story that she had gotten from the area, and um, it talked about this city named Koks, K-O-C-S, uh, in, in Hungary. And uh, back in the 14th century, they used to make the best uh, horse-drawn carriages in Europe, and all the royalty would come and, and, and buy their uh, horse-drawn carriages and, uh, f- from them there. And in Spain, they would, they would say from the city of Cochia. And uh, by the time that, you know, royalty in England bought it, it was was from coach. That was how they pronounced it. Uh, And that was what they called this horse-drawn carriage. So, you know, a a coach is really just a vehicle that takes somebody from where they are to where they want to go. And I think when a lot of coaches get into it, they get too caught up in themselves and what they want instead of worrying about where the player wants to go. Um, and so uh, once I figured that out, I, I realized that everybody is really a coach, whether it's a mentor or a tutor or you know, a teacher, you know somebody influential in the neighborhood, uh, anybody that's taken somebody from where they are to where they wanna go is really a coach. And so the only way we can do that is if we find out where they wanna go, right? Uh, sure. which is, is really the biggest deal. Um, so, and, and sometimes they're going to learn along the way. You know, Sometimes they read in the coach while they traveled. So uh, <clears throat> figuring out our purpose is really important. I think a lot of guys get into coaching because they don't know what else to do. They right. like the sport, and they stick around and do it. And, uh, Kevin, I know on, on Twitter the other day, uh, maybe yesterday, you, you shared something that I, I thought was, was pretty good, too, by Manuel Ancho. Uh, and he talked about, you know, a career is what you're paid for and a calling is what you're made for, you know, and the best coaches are the ones that are called to do that. They're called to serve. And so, you know, this, this little, uh, Venn diagram I have, I share this with as many people as I can, because I think it really just helps you figure out what it is that you're supposed to do. You know, um, if you love it, that's great. If you're good at it, that's super, uh, you know, when you find something that people need and something you can get paid for, then, then that is what you're made for. You know, when all of those things intersect and uh, this, you know, is really, really just uh, I'm a visual guy and it makes sense to me. Uh, so as we're exploring our profession, um, if coaching is your purpose, uh, then, then that sets you on a pretty good path. To, to put in the time and effort to figure things out along the way and uh, try to figure out why the players are playing sports, right? Um, what the parents are thinking when they first sign their kid up for sports and what the parents' goals are. And, you know, one of the things that we used to do with positive coaching lines, I'll do with gold standard coaching is sit down and talk to the parents and really get them to verbalize why their kids are playing sports, what their goals are for the kid, not the kid's goals, what what the parent's goals are. And a lot of times they're similar. A lot of times the kids, you know, goals are different than the parents, which I think, you know, prompts a conversation between the two of them. You know, but it might be something as simple as making friends and having fun to, you know, learning how to deal with defeat or winning championships or getting a scholarship or or the life lessons. And, um, you know, when you talk to parents at the beginning of a parent talk, they almost always say this stuff. Right, they they rarely say winning championships and scholarships, um, and they always talk about the life lessons and dealing with defeat and sportsmanship and things of that nature. Uh, So I think you know when we'll sit down with a booster group or a parent group or parents of a team, you know to get to to have that discussion to really realize why their kids are playing. I think it makes the season a little less stressful, uh, especially as we you know go on through through the process to understanding what the coach's job really is. Right. And the coach's job really is to get kids to compete and develop character. Right. Right. Um, you know, those, those siphoning it down to the lowest common denominator. Those are really the two things that we're trying to do. And a lot of things go into both of those different categories. Uh, so, you know, spelling those out to, to parents is, uh, is kind of a, kind of a big deal. It's kind of something that we spend time while we're trying to create that culture. Does that make sense?
0: It does, Coach Ray. It, um, let me ask you that. I, I think there's a disconnect, but what I see over my 30 years is I, I am not a call. I did not play at the collegiate level. I have a tremendous path. This is something that I've kind of. I, I just have a passion for coaching, and I consider it my calling. Um, but I see a lot of former athletes that were really good players in, in a lot of coaching jobs, and that's how they get jobs. I think that's a major issue. Um, and I think there's, it's almost a reverse part. I mean, I, I don't know how that's I, – I don't understand why, but I think that's a major problem for high schools when they're not searching for the best candidate, the best person, not necessarily the best athlete, the best person who can teach
1: those two things.
2: Yeah, a lot of times that comes back and bites administrators in the butt, you know, a couple of years later, um, because you're right. And I think it, it, it touches a little bit on what I said earlier about people that get into coaching because they were good at it and they don't know what else it is that they're going to do. Um, and don't really take the time anymore to figure out the things that we're, we're talking about here to, to really develop their philosophy and what that means um, and to set up a program. Uh, So some of them that don't work out, then they become, you know, your, your, your trainer. And then that creates a whole nother level that we never used to have. Um, And uh, they operate, you know, by no rules, there's no governing body, which I think is a big problem in basketball, uh, at the youth level in general, uh, that there's no governing national body like there might be in in some other sports. Uh, So yeah, that absolutely Uh, it absolutely is a a big thing and you know trying to get jobs so much now um is is about your ability to recruit now fortunately at the high school level even right can you can you bring in players uh so a lot of times you know that athletic cachet you know might sell on the phone and in the room a little bit and people think that that translates and it's not always a coaching thing as much as uh you know just just the ability to recruit so i think that set us back a little bit but that doesn't mean that those people aren't talented they just haven't really put in the time because people haven't put the focus on it yet uh, as much as they should and that's what we try to do you know when when we talk about getting them to to develop their culture um they got to figure out what that means first right
0: absolutely yeah continue on coach i love it uh yeah.
2: Um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think they spent enough time thinking about everything. I think these are some things on the screen that that are confusing to people, right? That they're interchangeable in a lot of ways when they try to answer a question. You know, you, you hear people talk about their vision or their mission or or their philosophy or style of play. Um, and, uh, and sometimes you'll talk about, you know, you'll ask somebody what their philosophy is and they'll say, well, you know, we want to you know, we want to uh, press and fast break and, and run multiple offenses. Well, that's not really your philosophy. That's your style of play, right? And so you have to have a philosophy that fits that style of play. Uh, you talked about mentors. Um, I was discussing just the other day with somebody. I, me and a buddy were in uh, a hotel lounge after a clinic at the coach's happy hour with Dean Smith and Ralph Miller. For about 20 minutes by ourselves, and they treated us like we were buddies, and, and it was you know maybe some of the best 20 minutes for a 21 year old coach you know ever, uh, sure. and and got a couple of points out of that. Now I don't know how much of that is really happening, you know, anymore. Certainly clinics are, are down in terms of attendance. Everybody's attending their Zoom clinics and everything, That's but right. you know, but that kind of thing isn't really happening to help people understand that and. Um, and so, you know, to me, you know, your vision, that's like that thing, that snapshot in your head that you, it's utopia, what you really dream about, you know, maybe, you know, it's, um, it's like the picture on the wall with everybody, you know, rushing the floor after a championship, you know, that, that might be that vision that you want, but that's not really how you get there. And you don't want to dwell on that. Um, I said I was at, at Bishop Beaumont High School, my alma mater as an assistant, I went and spent nine years at Pomona-Pitzer with Coach Cat um, that's turned into – I mean, I, st- I still keep in touch because my son is now his assistant in his ninth year with Coach Cat, uh, sure. which is kind of interesting. He he passed me in wins this past season because they've been a little bit better lately. Um, but Cat's got 500 wins there as, as Pops' uh, replacement. And, um, actually, you're in Georgia. They, they had an amazing game uh, against Emory uh, okay. in the uh, – in the uh not the sweet sixteen, but the round of thirty two to get to the sweet sixteen um, tad Boyle at Colorado, his son hit a three at the buzzer uh to kind of end their twenty twenty season. Uh, then they got on a plane to to go uh, to Chicago for the sweet sixteen and they got the news that the season was over, and they had yeah. the taxi back uh to to the gate and let let them off so that's how the season ended but um but yeah, so. Uh, you know, spending spending time with Cat was was great, and it's kind of solidified some things. And and then when I came back to Bishop Amat, I knew we had a really talented team. As I was the head coach now, um, I knew we had a chance, but I didn't want to dwell on winning. That was the one thing that I really learned from from Cat and Pop. Um, went out to dinner one time when Pop came back to visit that first year. And he he was saying that, you know, basketball, you you can't really talk about basketball like you're playing a game, right? You're not trying to win the game. Uh, It might be 100 games within that game, 50 on offense and 50 on defense. And the more of those that you win, right, the better you're going to like the results at the end, right? You string a few of those, you know, together and put on a little mini winning streak in your possessions, and you're going to put on a little run. Uh, So that's really how we kind of approached it. I think on the back of our T-shirts that year, it said solid possession by possession. And I really bought into that. It really made sense. And Kat really drove that home, the whole possession by possession, uh, you know, mentality. And so when I came back to Bishop Vermont, you know, they had championship aspirations and I got all the coaches together and I said, this year, we are not going to use the word win one time. And they looked at me like it was crazy. Of course, we want to win. Uh, but we wanted to do that by playing one possession at a time, you know, by the time we got there. And so our vision was a championship, but we were going to get there uh, with a different process. So beginning of every season, you got to put on new nets on your, uh, on your rims. And so uh, first practice, we pulled out the ladder and we had the players cut down the old nets and they kind of got into it and it kind of, gave them a vision of what that was going to be like. Right. Um, but I never said, this is where we want to be. We just put it out there for them. And uh, then uh, we practiced every morning and we could have the 8.30 in the morning time slot on a Saturday or uh, the 10 o'clock, 10.30 time slot on a Saturday. And uh, they all wanted to practice early so they could get on with their Saturday. Night. I says, no, we're going to practice at 10.30 because that's the time our section's championship game tips off at the N.I. and bond. Sure. And then I never said anything about it again. Right. And so planted those seeds early and then went about the process. Right. And so started to develop um, our, our mission, so to speak. And, uh, and you talked about, about mentors. When I was in uh, one of those basketball theory classes, I think this one's Dave Bullwinkle's class. Um, He had us do a paper. And the conclusion to that paper, I remember, was uh, if you convince the players that you care about them, prove that you're knowledgeable, and work as hard as you expect them to, then they'll listen and try to understand, try to be a great teammate, and hustle, right? I was 18, 19, that's what I wrote. And uh, so then... uh, Coach Pete, you talked about all of the stuff that we start to learn and the things that we teach that aren't really important, right? We get that three-ring binder worth of, you know, handouts and plays. And, and I remember, you know, dropping that down, you know, on the desk uh, at, at Bishop Baumatt and told my assistants, this is what we're going to do, you know, like this was our philosophy. And so we're going through, we're having a pretty good preseason, but we're in the middle of a December practice that was just awful and uh, Kevin, I went on a rant, and, uh, you know, I just said, you know, you guys, you're playing like you don't even care, you know, would you just think you're not even trying, you know, and, and it went on and on and on, um, and thankfully finished practice, and when we did, I went back up into the office, and I thought, doggone it, that's what I wrote 20 years ago, right, 20 years earlier, I wrote that it's important that you care, think, and try, and I forgot about all that stuff, and got caught up in all the you know drills and presses and tactics and scouting. You know films and and I forgot about care, think and try, right? So you know we just you know bought into that, you know, head and shoulders after that. We just talked about those you know three things and, and enjoying it while we were doing it. And um, you know that being able to simplify the things that are important. I think those qualities, as I thought about it, um, every quality or you know, everything that you want your kids to develop fits into one of those categories. You know, everything that they do, you know, they got to care about what they're doing and and how it affects other people. And they got to think about their job and they got to try their best and all, you know, and so we really tried to narrow it down. And being able to simplify it, Coach Pete, that that was what enabled us to get a little bit better.
0: And don't you, Ray, uh, and I'm going to ask Coach Pete the same thing, you have to fight for your culture every day. Um, and what, what our, what our vision in our program, uh, coach Ray is it's IOC impact our community. Great. I mean, we want girls who are going to impact, I mean, not just on the school community, but outside. And we work on that every day. Uh, and then we have a philosophy, uh, in our program, what we call row the boat. And, It's row the boat is used oh, sure. by University of Minnesota, all that. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, we talk, we work on it every day. I mean, you know, it's, it's energy Monday, it's, it's uh, on Tuesday. We talk about sacrifice Tuesday, we talk about direction Wednesday with the compass, uh, we talk about communication Thursday, coach, being coachable Friday. So, and we work on that every single day. But it took us time to kind of develop that. But those things, the players now really believe in us uh, more than probably our basketball side.
2: Yeah. So that becomes your mantra, Coach, right? Those are the things that you say over and over again, right? And, you 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 know, your hand's in a huddle and you break and you say that when you send them home or Uh coming out of a timeout or, or, you know, reminders. Um, And and those are the kind of things that they they really buy into when you start to, you know, like Coach Pete said earlier, simplify it and give them – just a saying or a phrase that they can buy into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Coach Pete, talk about, hey, because I know you really believe in um, having a vision, having a philosophy. Talk about uh, when you coach, what what did you teach?
3: Well, something y'all were talking about just a moment ago, if you can't teach, you can't coach. I had a 30-minute sit-down meeting once with John Wooden. Believe it or not, my best friend and I, Lynn West, remember him well. Kevin. Yeah, I do. After um, as after a big clinic in Birmingham, and when Coach Wooden got through speaking, there were just hundreds of people there. He said that he was going to be at a certain place in the hotel, and like the foyer or something, you know, there was a table there and some couches, and he said. Uh, I'll, when this is over, I'll be out there in the foyer of the hotel. If anybody would like to come and ask some question, I'd be glad to ask them. Well, as soon as that thing was over, everybody, Lynn West and I got up and we sprinted like we were running sprints to get to that place. And we got there and we were the only ones there. And a couple of guys straggled up, but I think there were four of us there. And, um, he just said a lot of things that, um, I picked up a lot on just his tonal voice. See, I think your tonal voice is a critical thing in teaching. It's where you – that's what the kids pick up on as to whether you really mean it or not. It's like rebounding. If you're not emotionally involved in rebounding, if you don't approach it like it's a fight, if you're not disgusted when they don't rebound, you can forget about having a team that's going to rebound. It's that emotional involvement. But my thing is this. Forget about what you know so much. Everybody has a lot of knowledge, but the issue is, can you teach it? Do you know how to teach it? If I was a young coach today, the first thing I would tell them is find a teacher that you know is the greatest teacher you ever had and go ask them.
4: Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett, marketing manager here at Dr. Dish Basketball, and we're thrilled to be a part of the 2020 Championship Vision Virtual Clinic. Coach Kevin Furtado has been a great friend of ours for a few years now, and we greatly appreciate his commitment to growing the game the right way and providing great resources to the basketball coaching community. At Dr. Dish, we're always here to help as well with our state-of-the-art equipment, drills, and content. If you're ready to upgrade to the best training machines in the world and join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, Louisville, and countless others, we'd love to have you as a part of the Dr. Dish family. Remember, we take trade-ins on all shooting machines, including competitors, for significant discounts. And just by registering for this clinic, you're eligible to receive an additional exclusive $300 off your next Dr. Dish purchase. For more information, visit our website at drdishbasketball.com. Give us a call or shoot me an email directly at nick at drdishbasketball.com. And make sure to follow us on all social media channels at Dr. Dish B-ball. To teach you how
3: to teach. Because I don't care who you are. If you can't teach it, forget about it. You're, you're wasting your time. And uh, I think that this this world that they're in today is is just so different. What Kevin said is just so critical. I've seen so many guys that were great players, but they just couldn't teach. Now, yeah. you wouldn't think that t- Jerry Tar would be known as a great teacher. Well, he was. I learned an awful lot from him. I got his, got his material from him. I remember him saying one thing. He said, the more... Information that you give your kids, the slower their feet are gonna get. Yep. And I found that to be true. And I kept it that simple. In other words, you, you you have all this information, then pull from it what your group of kids do best, and then make it a one, two, three. Just like rebounding. It's not like shooting a basketball. Three things is all you need to know. You, you really don't. Uh, Barkley. That's, that's my whole phrase for rebounding Was Barclay. We just screamed Barclay. It meant wide base, wide bottom, triangle in front of your face. Then fight, just like a, you're in a boxing match. You're getting that, Kevin's got a phrase that he uses all the time, oh, 10 feet in the box, in the paint. You know, over and over, they know that. And you, you develop a certain number. There was a friend of mine that wrote a book. He was a ghostwriter. I can't even think of his name now. He was a ghostwriter for Tark Canyon. And we used to talk a lot about what Tark did. And he wrote two of Tark's books for him, I think. And um, he said everything he did was about you have to simplify it down, first of all. Yeah. And if you simplify it down, but again, I'll go back. Young coaches need to learn how to teach. Yeah. Very few people can do it. Uh, You know, everybody. One thing to learn a press. Yeah, right.
2: everybody gives credit to, to Dean Smith for his great book, Multiple Offense and Defense, and it was great. Yeah. But Tarkanian had a book very, very similar that came out at the same time that was just as good, and nobody gives him credit for his X's and O's. He was a smart man, and his book, books were good. Um, so, so I'm with you on that one. Tark was a great guy out here. You know, but none of that happens unless you get the parents in on the deal right, these days, um, you know, you got to make sure that, that they're buying into everything that, that you've bought into, because uh, if you don't, they're going to be knocking on some administrator's door tomorrow, sure. right, so putting them all on the same page and, and identifying everybody's goals and roles is really, really important to developing the results that you want, right, <clears throat> so figuring out those goals is important as a coach. Um, and, and again, you know, gold standard coaching, will go in and, and help them do that and set that up. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, when you outline your program for, for parents, they, they, they think, cause they played the sport, you know, some one day way back when that they can do your job. Right. Um, and, and so when a third party comes in and sets this up, I think it's a little bit more, believable and a little bit more of a binding. So this is how we set it up. Tell me if this makes sense, right? Uh, As a coach, we talked about being a gold standard coach, Kevin, um, and and that those two, you know, goals were to to be able to compete and, and to build character, right? Both of those things. The competition is the easy thing, right? That's the most obvious. That's what everybody thinks about. But the character portion, is by all means more important. And Kevin, with your philosophy of going out in the community, I mean, that you know, comes through loud and clear, right? Um, so asking everybody, well, what, are, what kind of things does the coach do to prepare his team to compete? And when we can get players and parents to give us answers, um, you know, like, like practice and, and prepare and scout and teach skills and strategy and substitute lineups, you know, those are the coach's job and that's non-negotiable. Nobody else really should have input on those things because besides the coach and his staff, right? That's his role. Um, Now, what kind of things do parents hope the coach builds on, on the character side? Right. So when you ask parents, you know, like I said, they'll always say things, you know, like sportsmanship and commitment and, teaching kids how to work and their attitude. And, you know, those those are the accountability. Parents will always say, you know, those things in the preseason. Um, and I would ask you, Lee, if you had a team full of those qualities <laughs> on the character side, would that be a pretty good team?
3: Pete? Oh, absol- absolutely. Yeah, You've got to have it, but you see, when I started out coaching, the parents always would tell the players, son, you do what your coach tells you to do. Sure. (laughs) And boy, that has flipped. And what you're talking about now is just so critical today. And these young coaches, they better know how to deal with those parents where I didn't have to do that. Uh, it was kind of a given you did what the coach said, but there's a whole different world out there now. Um, Influence because the principals don't, the administrators where it used to be, most uh, principals had some coaching experience. But nowadays, most principals have no, have no coaching experience whatsoever. And they, uh, they're subject to parents' uh, influence uh, and wants and desires uh, much, much more than they used to in the past. And it's hard to deal with it. But, yeah, so you know, our what first you're doing, if you can identify the character traits for your, for, if you identify those character traits that you've got up here on the screen to your parents, that tells them where you're going to take their child and they're going to cheer for you.
2: 100%. And, you know, our first step in developing this gold standard culture is really to sit down with the athletic director and administrators and the boosters and set that up first and tell them this is, this is where we're going with it. Right. So we're trying to build those character traits. And sometimes those two things collide. Right. You're trying to teach character and uh, you're trying to teach work ethic and commitment and a kid's missing practice. Right. Well, maybe you got to bench him and that's going to hurt, you know, your ability to compete a little bit. Right. Or, or a kid, your best players, you know, gets technical, bad attitude and you got to take him out. That's going to hurt you. Um, you know, all of the, or you're trying to teach kids sportsmanship and mom and dad are going crazy up in the stands, right? Right? None of those lessons happen unless parents are involved in or, or in on the deal, right? Um, So a lot of young coaches, like Lee was saying, they don't know how to coach, so they avoid these moments, right? And they, they don't have a conversation. And that's how things get out of hand a little bit, you know, because they don't want to have that difficult moment. Because what happens? Uh, What makes that – Kevin, what makes that moment difficult when when you bench a kid or, or, you know, you're having a problem like that? Why is that hard on a coach?
0: Well, it it depends how much communication that uh, I've had before. I think by developing those relationships ahead of time. um, uh, But the problems that I've had in the past, um, have been because I did not I, I did not communicate well enough ahead of time to the parents what the expectations are. Sometimes we think we do, but a lot of times you gotta you gotta continue to communicate uh, your expectations to the parents really as often as you can so everybody has clarity involved.
2: Yeah, 100%. So this is going to not only create a difficult moment with the player. But you're probably going to have a conversation with the parent. And depending on how that goes, you might end up having a conversation with an administrator along the way. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of, you know, young coaches try to push that under the rug and just pacify people as, as time goes on. And then these character traits don't get taught, right? Sure. But, but each one of those difficult moments is a teachable moment, right? That's where kids really learn to become good people. Uh, so instead of running away from them, we, we need to run to those moments, mm-hmm. right? and you know i i was having a conversation with my son earlier as i had this up on my screen i mean the more we live in this red zone right there in the middle as a coach the the better people we're going to turn out and the better competitors we're going to have right cuz you're kind of putting their foot to the fire a little bit and you're teaching them along the way so you know when we convince the parents that we need these qualities over here on the right we need those character qualities to win and we need the parents to, to, to help build those qualities because, you know, Lee said, if we have those qualities, we're going to win more. And that's what all the parent wants. They want their kid to perform well and they want the team to win. So if that gold standard parent helps their kid build these character traits, it's going to help us compete better, win more which is going to build more character that's going to help us win more and that's how we end up you know becoming really really good but none of that none of that none of that happens unless we get the parents involved in the deal right so they're crucial in our success right moms and dads you're you're crucial in us winning ball games but this is how you do it by fulfilling your role in teaching those character traits not so much in worrying about you know, who I'm starting, who I'm playing, and who's getting most shots, right? And, and you know, when, when a third party like myself will come in and facilitate that with a team or, or a program um, and take them down that road, uh, it, it helps their buy-in a little bit. It helps them understand that I'm not telling you to do this just because I want you to be out of my hair, right? That's what they think coaches are telling them right? You don't worry about, you know, what I'm doing over here, right? Because I don't want you in my, in my business. That's not really what it's about, right? It's about being, being a, we're collaborating and trying to get the best program we can, right? Does that make sense to you guys, Think it makes sense to your parents?
0: It does, Ray, and do you feel like, I call it conflict resolution. Uh, yeah, exactly. and coaches really need to know that. But made, <laughs> I think a key word though, Ray, and tell me if I'm wrong, is immediacy, so you need to attack it immediately instead of waiting, right?
2: Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, social learning theory, you gotta, you gotta fix a broken window right away, right? Because if you don't fix a broken window in a bad neighborhood, pretty pretty soon more, more windows are gonna be broken, there's gonna right. be more graffiti on the wall, right, so you when there's a problem, you gotta take care of it immediately, you're absolutely right, you can't let that fester, because as soon as you do, then everybody starts to think, well, that's how it's done, and they good. do it too. Right. But you got to do that with parents as well. Yeah. Right. If you pay, if you're having a parent problem and you don't deal with that right away, then the other parents are going to think, oh, that's how it's done. Right. And then all of a sudden you got bigger problems to deal with. Right. So so you definitely have to build that that collaboration uh, <clears throat> so that we can get to what we really want to do. Right. We really want to coach the kids. Um, and and the, the thing that, that I hear from parents all the time is they want their kids to build confidence. And sports is a great place to build confidence, uh, but it's also a place where it gets torn down way too much now. Uh, And uh, the complaint I hear from coaches is that that kid's not coachable. And when I hear a kid isn't coachable, I'm listening to a coach that isn't trying hard enough and hasn't figured out a way to get through to him, right? Because I think, you know, almost all kids, you know, there's very few kids I've come across that aren't coachable and I've done a bad job trying to reach them sometimes. So, you know, trying to create confident and coachable players is, is a process. Um, And it's something that's completely within a coach's uh, power. (laughs) you know, players don't come to you as confident. uh, They're not born confident and uh, you know, players can be uncoachable if they're not coached in the appropriate way. So, you know, Something, you know, I've got four kids, and all four of them uh, either played or are playing collegiate sports. My youngest son is a college baseball player now. My oldest son played college basketball and college baseball at the same time for a couple years, finished up playing four years of college basketball. Um, My daughter played basketball at the University of Redlands, and my youngest daughter, she thought she just wanted to be a student, so she went on campus, and the track coach saw her working out one day. She ended up running track and field and cross country. So uh, they all competed. But along the way, right before my youngest son was born, Carol Dweck came out with this book, Mindset. And uh, it just made all the sense in the world to me, you know, reading through the research at the time, my son was, my oldest son was in college. So he was uh, doing some, he was a you know, sports studies major, uh, took some classes at Cal State Fullerton, got his master's at Cal State Fullerton with Ken Revizo, who was one of the best sports psychologists, you know, ever. Um, so we used to have this discussion all the time, and, and Dweck's, uh, you know, research would come up a lot, uh, and it turned out, it had, you know, a relationship with her through Positive Coaching Alliance, but her concept of, you know, kids with fixed versus growth mindsets is, is extraordinary, you know. Um, you know kids with fixed mindsets and you can identify them uh, you know those are the kids that that think that they're good because they're talented and they're gifted people have probably been telling them how good they are all their life um, and they kind of feel like you know my talent is what got me where I am Uh, Where kids with growth mindset you know they realize that uh, if if you know they're not particularly good at something right now all what I need really to do is to work a little bit harder and get better at it, right? And so uh, my youngest son was born uh, right around this time. And and I didn't change anything with the way that I talked uh, to him uh, about, about sports or academics. Um, but what I did was add something to every sentence and attributed his successes, there were sometimes his failures, to either his work or lack thereof, that he had already put in in that area, right? I mean, you know why you did well on that math test is because you did all your homework, right? Um, you, you know, you're really hitting the ball well because of all that extra time you put with coach on the tee. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, you know, I, 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 he's tired of it, I'm sure, but I still do it. I still relate everything that he succeeds at back to the work that he put in. And, uh, you know, he, he's, you know, developed into, you know, an amazing, resilient, gritty guy. Uh, I think because of that, and, you know, they able to overcome a lot of adversity, but that this word yet is, is huge. Right. And, and really it's about, um, you know, you just can't do that yet. But if you keep working, right. Um, I remember my youngest son when I was coaching him. He's probably in the sixth grade in basketball. He's coming down on a fast break. Um, and I mean, I grew up, you know, with, 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 uh, Pete Maravich and Ernie D. Gregorio and Earl Monroe. And I used to use a spin move a lot. I really believe in that, you know, in the open floor, not in traffic. And so he comes down on this fast break. And if he gets by his guy, we got numbers. And so he tries to do this spin move and he loses his balance. And the ball goes flying. I don't remember if there was a turnover and a timeout <clears throat> or if it was at the end of a quarter. But I remember him coming over the sidelines and he came to me right away and he said, Dad, he said, that looked a lot better in my head. <laughs> and uh, and I and I said, well, son, you know that's going to be a good move for you someday, right. right? And you know, by the time he was a varsity basketball player, that was kind of his go-to move. You know, he'd spin and you know maybe a little head bob and go to the basket or pull up and shoot something. Uh, but if I but if I tried to squash that because it looked bad, right? He never would have kept working on it, right? And so he could he just couldn't do it yet. And that's something that we really, really got to focus on while we're trying to get kids, you know, to realize how it is that they really improve. You know, I I talk about what, I talk about when in an an acronym sense, right? You've heard it before. What's important now, right? That's the only thing you should worry about. That's the only win you should worry about. Um, And people with fixed mindsets, they often let the score um, or stats and standings affect how they define themselves or how they feel about their performance and they're afraid of making mistakes. And so they stress about it. And what we wanna do is develop that competitive toughness where the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is how well I tried on this particular play, whether I'm getting better and either it went well or it didn't, but I gotta worry about the next play and control the things that we can control. And when we get kids to really you know, not only worry about that possession, but to worry about the actions within that possession that they're executing right now, um, then they're gonna be pretty good. And, and you know, that's gonna change every second along the way, right? Well, now what I gotta worry about, right? I had to worry about getting through that screen. Now I gotta get, you know, in space to deny or getting help, whatever the case may be, I gotta worry about what's important now. And uh, <clears throat> when when we can, you know, filter the game down to, to those milliseconds, then uh, then we, we end up with pretty good players.
0: Coach Ray, I oh. love that because uh, I really believe in that. My If you watch my teams play, we are literally all over the court. What I teach my teams are is I think recovery is more important than the actual initial play. I think how you – and our team does tremendous job when they get beat we sprint to recover. I think that's really an important part of how, but I've learned that over the years though. We really teach recovery.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, everybody, I mean, that's what everybody's trying to, you know, teach them moves to go by your offensive uh, sets to, to gain that, you know, short-term advantage, right? And how you, you know, take that advantage back away by recovering is, is huge. Um, but, but what you can't do is get on the kid about getting beat. Right. Yeah. Right. And not doing it. So, so you, you've got to manage that situation a little bit more. And so, <clears throat> you know, we try to reward them along the way. I'm really a firm believer in this balance of positive positive to negative communication, right? There's research all over the place that says, you know, I mean, we, we remember 20,000 snapshots in our head a day. And at the end of the day, if, if we have five times as many of those memories are positive than negative, we think that was a pretty good day. And and that goes with our job, that goes with how we play. Uh, So we really talk about trying to reach that five to one balance. And I mentioned the article that I uh, did a paper on with what a coach can teach a teacher. And what it did was it followed Coach Wooden for a season and and it tracked all of his communication. And that was before massive use of video, otherwise they probably would have done that. But, you know, uh, he used to praise and and scold kids just about equal, but he had all sorts of other categories. And I was fortunate to work his very last basketball camp at Cal Lutheran. Uh, And I remember having breakfast um, with him that day. And I used to say, Coach, you didn't really praise your kids that much. Uh, in that, which isn't really his image, right? He's got that grandfatherly image that he had. Uh, And he remembered this one. It was not written in any book anywhere, but I can remember it like he's sitting across the table from me right now. He he said, when you take the time to teach your boys, there's an implied belief that they can achieve. And that belief is praise in itself. Hmm. So his philosophy was that teaching is praise, right? When I take the time to teach you. So years later, when I got all this research about five to one, and I started working with Positive Coaching Alliance, I went back to that paper. And when you take all of his positives, right, his hustles, and you add them together with all of his acts of teaching, it's exactly five to one, which was amazing to me. Um, So, he didn't praise that much. And when coaches say, God, five to one, I can't get there. And it's easy to get there because I use this phrase at the bottom of the screen, you know, all the time with coaches. If I had, you know, a 10 second conversation with a coach and they asked me the secret to teaching, you know, I would tell them to relentlessly reward desired effort. Because a lot of things go into that, right? It means a kid's making an effort to do what you desire. And if a kid is making an effort to do what you desire, then recognize and reward that every single time, relentlessly. Right? And and if we do that, then we're gonna get as many positives as we can, right? And that's gonna outweigh the negatives because there's a one there for a reason. We're supposed to correct, that's our job. Okay. But the hard part that I think coaches miss is this opportunity to to get you know more positives into their coaching. uh, through teaching and through praise.
0: Yeah, and it, I guess, I mean, for example, um, you know, we focus so much on make <laughs> shots, right, Ray, in basketball, yep. um, rather than what it takes to get that shot. Maybe we, we, we actually evaluate what we call screen assists. So we run a lot of ball screens. So if somebody sets a great ball screen and that player gets free, that's a screen assist. Uh, I totally believe in that philosophy. I love it. But it took me a while to learn it.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about charting in just a minute because I agree with you 100%. That's that's awesome. I mean, because what we're trying to get to is um, this ratio is hard to get to. Right. I mean, because when you fill that kid's emotional bank, right, they're tough and they're coachable and they're resilient and they play with some poise. But when they're drained because you spend all your time yelling at them, right, then they're not confident. They're not coachable. They're not competitive. Right. They're thinking too much and they can't, you know, like Lee said, they can't think and compete at the same time. Right. And then they're, they're going to play without character a little bit. So trying to get to that five to one balance is huge. And it's not just the coach, right? It's your whole team culture. It counts, you know, the players and the parents, they all pitch in on this. So we talk about going eight for your teammates. I don't know if you ever heard that term, right? We talk about acknowledging your teammates' ability, praising their performance, and encouraging them after errors, right? And every time a teammate, you know, does one of those things, that creates positive memory. That goes into that five to one. Sometimes we'll pair up kids, right? So maybe today, Kevin, you and Lee are partners. You're shooting partners, and today, Lee, every time Kevin does something well, you've got to praise him and tell him he did a good job. And Kevin, you got to do the same thing for Lee. You know, and so every time you praise each other, that's memory, memory, positive memory. So when I finally correct him and get on him, it's not messing with that ratio, right? My emotional bank is still full, right? And that helps me manage mistakes a little bit, flush the last one and worry about the next one, you know? And parents do do wonders in making sure, you know, the kids reach their goals too. You know, I used to have, as a, as a parent, <clears throat> I used to have what I called the driveway rule. Um, I wouldn't bring up the sport once we left the driveway of wherever we played or practiced. Right. And if they did, you know, like a court of law, that opened the door and I could cross examine. <laughs> right. But as long as we were at the venue, I wouldn't bring up the topic. And so I think that gave kids, you know, some some space to, uh, you know, to brood on their own. And dad or mom weren't always on them and giving them the whole postgame analysis on the ride home. And that sure. just puts kids in a bad place and makes things less enjoyable you know, I remember a game in baseball, you know, my youngest son, uh, he struck out twice, once looking, um, made a really nice play in the field, but doesn't remember that. Right. Right. he's crying after the game. <clears throat> so I went through the drive-thru to get food my wife took him home to do some homework. That's a, you know, life of a sports parent. Right. And as I'm in the drive-thru, my phone buzzes and it's a text. And so I, and I can look at it cause I'm in the drive-thru. So, uh, I, I look, and it says, Tyler's in the backseat crying. He thinks he played a horrible game. And so I text back. I say, that just means he cares. So I go to the food, and I'm going in line, and, and she sends me another text and says, uh, he, uh, you know, he tells me to leave him alone. And I, we use this all the time. I said well, remember his emotional schedule. He's just not ready to talk. So I pick up the food and it phone buzzes again. And in capital letters, she texts, what about my emotional schedule?
0: <laughs>
2: right? Yeah. She wanted to fix it. And sometimes kids need to work that through on their own. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, parents need to get off of that, you know, trip a little bit too. And, and I think, Lee, you mentioned parents. I think that's something else that's changed, right? Is that parents are overanalyzing kids and putting too much pressure on kids and not letting them have some fun.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, every coach needs advice on that because I, I think that's a major issue in a lot of schools. Um, but that's where you guys come in, right? I mean, yeah. we need consultants because, man, these are – I know I, I know I needed it. I learned over the years, and I still need – I still need advice on yeah. how I build relationships with parents.
2: Right, and I think, you know, that's what I try to do now. Instead of just going in at the beginning of the year and giving everybody an hour talk,
0: you mm-hmm. know –
2: dropping in on a practice, watching a game, you know, sending a text, being available. I think that that's huge. And coaches trying to figure out, you know, how to get through these things and manage conflicts. Like you said, you talked about, you know, things that you chart coach. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's what I think. I think that you get what you recognize uh, record and reward.
0: I totally agree.
2: Yeah. Right. So, you know, if you were to look through some of the things where, well, you know, we went through a season where we were trying to change the culture of everything from practice attendance to effort. And, and so we came up with this program, kind of like Rick Patino's old bricks and saves, but- Bricks and saves, it, yeah. We call it bricks and bones because we were the Huskies, right? Um, but we charted some of the negative things, you know, late help, blow buys on defense, not knowing your assignment, getting bad grades, right? Missing practice, missing games. You know, those were negatives. Um, but some positives, you know, we, you talked about, you know, screen assists. We talked about, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, the hockey assists, hockey assists you know, thing, right. those kind of things, contested shots, mm-hmm. uh, blockouts. You know, it's more important to, to chart, you know, blockouts and missed blockouts than it is rebounds, right? Because one's an effort goal that leads to the other. Um, so, you know, I could send you that, but you definitely you need to, definitely need to chart things if you want kids to buy in. And then we had a whole program where we, you know, would, would reward them after the game and um, recognize them. And I think, you know, in, in the same vein as the turnover chain that's so popular now in football, right, when you can find a way to reward kids and recognize them, I think uh, that's a good thing. Uh, to really get them con- to compete and then, you know, how you develop your character is, is what we talked about a little bit earlier. So we want competitors of character. How do we do that, right? We want to, there are some qualities that we need uh, between the lines. And then so there are some character traits and life skills that we want to develop outside the lines. And uh, when I ask athletes to talk about their best teammate ever. They always talk about kids having heart. And then I say, well, what does it mean to have heart? And they give me all sorts of things like they're positive and they never give up and and they work really hard and they're tough. And, you know, all of those things are really mental, right? None of them are cardiovascular for sure, right? Right. It's all about the mind of a champion, not the heart of a champion. So we talk a lot about how you're going to develop that mental toughness. And I use this acronym TRG, right? Toughness, resilience, and grit. And when we can, you know, develop those three.
1: Hello, my name is coach Charlie Miller, head master trainer with the TAC Basketball Academy in Dallas, Texas. I'm here to promote the upcoming championship vision podcast clinic series brought to us by coach Kevin Furtado from Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Coach Furtado is a well-respected, sought-after coach and found other coaches like him to share their best practices and secrets to success with players, parents, and teams. The clinic will provide two types of virtual clinics, lecture-style via Zoom cast and on-court instructions with coaches and players. Again, my name is Coach Charlie Miller from Attack Basketball Academy, where we work with kids from third grade through high school in a positive and growth-oriented atmosphere that promotes a whole body approach to well-being. Our programs are designed not only to improve your child's ability on the court, but also to teach him or her valuable skills that will serve them throughout their lives.
2: Things, then, then we're in a pretty good place. And again, this is another one of those things where words get mixed up, and I think coaches use them interchangeably. And the way I define toughness is the ability to focus on the one single thing that's most important right now, right? That one, you know, what's important now. And if I can focus on the one thing that's most important right now, I've developed some toughness, both physical and mental, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I'm under the basket and, uh, and I might get, I might get hit in the face, right? We're rebounding, Lee, right? And you got to be passionate about rebounding. And sometimes, you know, you go through a little bit of struggle and you might get knocked around. Nothing bugs me more than somebody that might get a little owie in the face and they stop and act like, you know, we need to call the ambulance. <laughs> and then 10 seconds later, they're running back down the floor, right. right? Or as soon as your team gets the ball back, you know, they're open for a shot. Right? <laughs> um, so what do I need to do right then? If I'm injured, well, then I need to worry about it right, then I need to go go down, get some help or whatever. But if it's just an alley, what's more important, right getting back on defense, right, that's tough, right, when I can, you know, go through a little bit of physical discomfort, and still take care of my business, um, which is different than being injured, right, and I never want, you know, I always want to make sure I point out to the team the difference between those two things. Uh where <clears throat> I'm getting screened. Well, it's easy you know, to just allow yourself to get screened, It's tough to get through the screen, right? right? So develop that tough. What do I need to do right now? I need to get through that screen. Now resilience, that's bouncing back after a play doesn't go well, right? Something didn't go well. I missed a shot. I missed, a, you know, turned the ball over, you know, threw it away. Well, all I know is I better be the fastest guy getting back on defense now if I threw it away, right? So that's resilience, being able to quickly recover from something like that. And then grit, I think, is that long-term thing, right? We're trying to, we're trying to win a league championship or, or whatever. We want to stick to this goal. I'm trying to improve something. So um, we want to develop all three of those things, toughness, resilience, and grit. Because <clears throat> nothing ever gets done, you know, by anybody without, you know, developing a little bit of grit. And, um, and we got to embrace that along the way, right? We got to embrace that struggle. Otherwise, you know, <clears throat> we're going to give up. Right. So that's kind of an in-game uh, competition thing. And and, and you got to be able to do that at, uh, all the time. I always, I, I ask players, uh, how are you going to play at crunch time? Right. Last two minutes, fourth quarter. And they always say, you know, I'm going to work harder. Um, I'm going to focus more. I was tell you, you know, if you did that at the tip off and we did it for, you know, 32 right. minutes, It wouldn't be crunch time right now. we would be up by a bundle, right? But but they always wait until that last minute. Oh, this is an important play. Well, no, that first play was pretty important too. So we need to be able to do that possession by possession from the opening tip until the final horn. um, And that's really what we want to take care of. And when we can build those habits on the court, it carries over to off the court, right? Uh, You know, how you do something is how you do everything. And so when we learn how to compete that way, you know, that's how we're going to take, you know, the attitude that we're going to take into the classroom, as long as we're following the right people, right? Well, I'll ask people, are you a leader or a follower? And they always say I'm a leader, right? Like follower is a bad word, okay? But even my captain's got to be a good follower, otherwise he's not following me, right? I've got to be a good follower if I'm a coach. You know, because I'm not, you know, I got to follow the, the athletic director's principal or in our athletic department's mission, you know. So even good leaders got to be great followers. And we got to teach kids how to follow and how to choose, you know, who to follow along the way so that they develop the right character, both on and off the court, right? Um, something that I caught, and Kevin, you, you coach girls, um, you, you're probably familiar with Kathy Delaney-Smith, coach at Harvard. It's been there forever, and if you haven't read any of her stuff, um, do so. But she's got this philosophy, act as if. And, uh, you know, she says, you know, it helps you. Um, challenges become insurmountable and goals become attainable. Anytime you can act as if when there's some struggle. So you're bored in class, right? Act as if it's exciting, Right you're tired after a game at, you know, you had a night game, long bus ride home. You got to be at class at seven in the morning, you know, act, act as if you're not tired, right? Get, take that hoodie off and and bounce and say hello to everybody. And, you know, you're losing by a lot, still have a good attitude, you know? So, um, if you act as if you have a quality that you want, you know, a lot of people say fake it till you make it. I don't know that I like that, (laughs) right. But, you know, if I want some confidence, I need to act confident, right? right? Um, you know, some, we're starting to drill. I want to get to the front of the line, okay, and act as if I'm ready and I want it. Uh, and, and when we take that attitude uh, on the court and then off the court, now we're really developing some of these qualities that um, we try to instill. You know, one of our Positive Coaching Alliance trainers from Arizona her name's Kelly Cagle. She was actually the women's soccer coach at Virginia Tech during the shooting. So um, tremendous, tremendous lady. I, we, we had a, a, a dinner at her house one day and she had the Cagle, quality, Cagle family values over her uh, fireplace and, and it inspired me on the flight home to try to figure out, you know, what can I put by my front door, you know, to, to inspire kids in our house and what do I want my team to think about? And so these are the qualities that we try really, really hard. Uh, we try to try to instill leadership and optimism and, and knowledge of whatever it is that they're doing and a positive attitude and respect to others. Um, and, and when we do those things, when we focus on those qualities, you know I think we're going to get kids that care, think and try, which is what I kept coming back to. And we're able to build our brand, right? Um, kids, you know, have this opportunity to sell themselves, right? Lee talked about teaching, you know, coaching and, and playing, you're teaching or you're selling, right? And we <laughs> want those kids to to convince everybody that they're a student athlete, right? That they're really, really uh, everything that a student athlete means—they're, you know, committed. They work hard. They're a good team member, and then people want to be around those kind of people. They want to recruit you to go to college. They want to hire you uh, to be their job. So everything they do with how they behave— to, you know, Snapchat and Twitter and, you know, Instagram and all that—we talk about the rule of four, right? Everything you put on the internet is for everyone. It's forever, and people are slow to forgive and forget, right? So you know, work really hard to, to build that brand, so that you're kind of person, you know, that can contribute uh, a little bit uh, to the community, um, because people want to hire those those student athletes. Um, this uh, Fortune 500 thing, I talk about all the time. Uh, there was a research study: 90% of Fortune 500 CEOs uh, played sports. And only 6% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women, but 90% of those women played sports. So when you, you know, develop all of these qualities that we're talking about, that's really the end game, right? Not putting the ball in the basket and winning ball games. It's really about building those life lessons and building people that are contributing to the community in, in a positive way. That's really what we try to, I try to do as a coach and what has evolved into this you know, gold standard coaching uh, venture that that I've gone into to help others, you know, aspire to do the same thing.
0: Yes. And and Ray, I love that. Matter of fact, I took tons of notes and I love that. I'm going to add some things in. I love the act as if, because I think you have, don't you have to tell your mind what you're going to do because the mind, the mind is naturally negative.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When you convince it, it's going to get it done, right? I mean, a lot of that research is done on prisoners of war, right? People, people that have had a positive attitude and uh, act as if, um, are the ones that end up, you know, surviving.
0: I totally agree. Hey, before I ask Pete um, to give uh, give us definitely some insight into what he uh, what he got from the presentation. How do you, what do you do if a coach, because I really want to work with you on sharing this with other coaches, um, Give us an example of a program or a coach you're working with right now, uh, maybe some area of weakness that they need to strengthen, kind of give us an example.
2: Yeah, I think like Lee said, the, the biggest thing that coaches come with me now is how to establish that culture that works together and have, you know, the parents and the coaches, you know, kind of on the same page and have that collaboration. Um, I've done some work with Pacific Ridge High School down in San Diego, uh, some coaches at Burbank High School out, or, out our way, um, you know, but, but what I would typically do is I'd come in and we'd do like, you know, we might do one of those talks with each of those different groups, focus groups, whether they're leaders or coaches, parents and athletes, uh, take a little climate survey. I have a little questionnaire that, you know, kind of grades each of those constituents in a, in a particular way to see what they're doing in the areas that we're talking about uh, towards that positive culture so we know what it is that we're going to try to attack. Um, Two things, you know, some from each each aspect. I think players buying into the team concept, coaches being able to communicate in a positive way, parents supporting the coach, and administrators and leaders having the courage to support the right person and not just kowtowing to parents' whims are probably, you know, the, the biggest problems in each of those categories.
0: Coach Pete, um, talk about – Coach, you were a principal and a coach. I think this is really important. I don't think yes. it's done enough. Kind of tell what – hey, what, what would you utilize within this program? I think nowadays th- this has to be uh, inserted into programs.
3: Well, all of this needs to be used. This is, um, I don't know if you're uh, aware of a guy named Jordan Peterson. Um, he's a great writer, wrote a book here. It sold four or 5 million copies. Um, uh, it's called 12 rules for, for life. And he speaks and always has every venues full of young men, almost exclusively young men. And I just uh, recommend that to you. You don't need to get into it tonight, but, uh, Jordan Peterson, The Rules for Life. It is fabulous, read. he's the smartest human being I've ever listened to in my life. But no, I've been a pastor of a church and a, and a principal and a coach, all of them for over 20 years apiece, but they were done concurrently. So I've seen these things you're talking about through all the lenses. But I do know this, what you said, one of the most important things is about reward. Whatever we reward, you will get more of now that's just a bottom line because to these kids we're coaching and teaching i want to tell you our approval is their reward we mean so much more to them than what we ever dreamed they really it really is what's your reward you get more of and the other thing what you're talking about i preached a sermon one time a long time ago about when the church the family and the school all sing the same song johnny and sally turn out really well that's right uh, i think that goes with exactly what you were talking about a while ago when you when these administrators see i see your position what you're doing now you go in with the underlying goal of getting the administration and the coaches and the kids and the parents singing the same song you i like know, that, that. I'm kind of that hard me... to do but it's something you've got to do see another thing that young coaches need to learn right off the bat. My brother taught me this. I, I was an assistant coach for six months. I won't go into all that. I even got into coaching, but he was a great player and a straight A student. And right in the middle of practice one day, I was saying something. He walked up behind me and whispered in my ear. He said, uh, sarcasm never makes me want to play harder, Pete. It makes me want to quit. And I went to myself, I didn't even answer him, but I, See, I think young coaches have got to learn this simple thing here. The difference between correction and criticism. Criticism is shame-based. It's saying you're not good enough. Uh, When you correct someone, you push them back onto the greed-upon path. And as simple as that is, it makes all the difference in the world. I found that you can get angry with kids and still be – uh, correcting them, but not criticizing them. When you criticize 100%. constantly, it's saying you're not good enough. You can't – you're not going to – even if the, your words don't match that, the tone of your voice, that sarcasm is a cutting down. And I think that that's one of the things I always try to get across to my teachers. Correct, but don't criticize. Don't criticize. Hey, Lee? People love coaches and kids love coaches because – Coaches are always catching them doing something right and speaking to it. Coaches speak to everything. Speak to everything.
2: Yeah, that's perfect. Anyway, the, the, uh, this uh, is
3: not trying to be obvious. This is all this stuff is solid gold, and you know, I've really enjoyed it.
2: You said you said two things. You said catch them doing something good, right? And that goes back to desi- rewarding desired effort. But what you said about sarcasm. You know, sarcasm comes from the Greek phrase meaning to cut flesh. That should tell us all we need to know about whether it's effective coaching strategy or not. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um,
3: Yes. Hey, Coach Ray. Yeah, Coach Ray. In the old days. Didn't we all grow up on sarcasm, though, in the old days? Yeah. See, I grew up under Bobby Knight and people like that. For sure. I went to clinics with him uh, and listened to, to him talk, and uh, it's a whole different world now, though, isn't it? These kids no are doubt. different.
2: No doubt. But education is, too, and, and teachers have learned to adapt and come up with different teaching strategies. Lord knows in the last eight months they've flipped that on their ear, so there's no reason why coaches can't figure out a better way to coach, too.
0: Coach Locke, man, I really appreciate how you have educated me uh, and our listeners. And I want to know, please, please tell us, how can we get a hold of you? Uh, I'm going to send this out to uh, not only my social media, but all as many coaches as I know here in the state of Georgia around the country. So uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm all over Twitter at Coach Locke. So that's probably the quickest way for everybody to get a hold of me. Uh, The website's goldstandardcoaching.com. Email's up there on the board, coachloke at goldstandardcoaching.com. And uh, yeah, you know, being able to come out and uh, give give some of those talks and take people through the program and figure out where your uh, individual school or program or organization needs to go is the first step. Uh, And then the follow-up. Is uh, is what's really most important to make sure that those uh, those ideas stick.
0: I totally agree, and I, I just want to remind the listeners that you got two great videos out as well from Championship Productions. Is the uh, 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 fundamental the youth fundamentals video, and also the uh, youth practice. I think it is. Tell us about that because I don't think there's enough teaching on how to teach the youth within
2: our program. No, actually, that was the purpose of it, actually. Uh, Championship Productions got a hold of me through Positive Coaching Alliance and uh, at the time and <clears throat> wanted something directed specifically at, at youth. So what I did was, you know, I just grabbed a bunch of players. They weren't my team because um, that's a lot, what a lot of youth practices are like. It, it doesn't look nice and snazzy like a lot of videos do where, you know, they've been working on that drill for, you know, months and years and, Uh, You know, youth coaches will look at it and, you know, figure that my team can never do that, right? Uh, So, you know, take a bunch of ragtag kids and put them through it. Um, I think one of the things that people might get out of it most is uh, just the manner in in which we're talking about and how you communicate with kids and how specific you have to be. Uh, For example, you know, there was was a situation where I was telling my uh, son, my youngest son who'd seen a thousand games in his life, uh, you know, hey, make that kid go left, and he drove right, and I said, make that kid go left, and he drove right, and next time he came off, it's Tyler, I said, make him go left, I said, I was, he was going to my left,
4: <laughs> exactly,
2: So we got to <laughs> be very really specific, so, you know, I, you know I, think, I think that's part of it, and then practice structuring uh, is something that you get out of it, too, but that was a, a fun video to put together, I should probably give him a call and, and get back on the video train uh, with them as well.
0: Yeah, uh, for sure on that. I think it's a great video, matter of fact. Um, coach Lok, I really appreciate it. You have any final words you would like to share about the gold standard of coaching and so forth? Any final words? You have offered so much golden nuggets for me and our listeners. What any final, final advice for a coach starting out under complete duress now with all the all the COVID situations? What advice would you give?
2: Yeah, take some time and figure out why you really want to coach, um, figure out your purpose, uh, care about what it is that you're doing, think about it, put deep thought into it, give your best effort, uh, and, uh, and relentlessly reward desired effort, you know, and if you do that, you're going to inspire kids to at least try their best, uh, which is going to overcome, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of mistakes along the way.
0: Coach Will said, "I sure appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, I'm hoping the California. Hopefully, you guys get to play out there soon. I'm not sure what the the curve. I got my is fingers
2: doing. crossed. I, you know, my son's hoping to, you know, get on the college baseball field. So I, I you know, with every ounce of my being, I want uh, want that to fix.
0: Yeah, for sure. Ray, thank you so much. I wish you the best, and uh, thank you for." Uh, enlightening us a little bit more about.
2: Thank you Lee. This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans. John
1: Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice
2: Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential.